Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. Welcome back for another week. We're excited to be back on track and back in the recording studio and all the fun things. This week, we are covering an older case that takes place in 1906. And it is murder at Big Moose Lake. This one was actually a listener recommendation. Okay. So... Grace May Brown was born March 20 of 1886 to Frank and Minerva 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 Brown. She grew up on a dairy farm in South Chenango County, New York. She was the fifth of nine children born on their small dairy farm. She had dark brown hair and blue-gray eyes. So she graduated from a one-room school at the age of 16, which sounds very like Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, for sure. One-room school. Yeah. She left home in 1904. I mean, this is 19-fucking-04. So long ago, yeah. And she did this to live with her sister, Ada, who was married and lived in Cortland. So she got a job at Gillette Skirt Factory on Miller Street. She was described as a pretty and lively girl who loved singing and dancing, and her nickname was Billy because of her love for the song, Won't You Come Home, Billy Bailey. Yeah, and she would sign her letters as the kid, like Billy the Kid. Now, it was at the Gillette Skirt Factory where 20-year-old Grace met 23-year-old Chester Gillette. He was the nephew of the owner, and his uncle had given him a job initially in the factory with the common workers, which is where he met Grace. Chester was born on April 9 of 1882 in Montana, and he was born to Frank and Lois Bryce. By 1889, the family was living in Spokane, Washington, where they lost everything in the Great Spokane Fire of 1889. After this, the family became very religious and joined the Salvation Army, and they started moving around a lot. And in 1902, his wealthy uncle sent him to the Oberlin College Preparatory Academy in Ohio, where he did not do well. And in 1903, his uncle gave him a job working in the factory. Chester was described as a handsome guy, and with his uncle's name and high place in society, he quickly became known for playing the field. When I was reading about this, because I don't, the Salvation Army to me it, is different, but it was a very like strict religious entity at this time. Is that not what? I don't think that's what it is the now. Salvation Army? Is that still what it I've is? I've always thought the Salvation Army is uh, religious. Religious. I didn't always. even, I didn't even know they were religious. I have always thought, I've always, I don't know where I've known this information from, but I've always thought of the Salvation Army as religious. Huh. I'm not caught up on my Salvation Army knowledge. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like they were like the religious Red Cross is what it... Yeah, that's kind of what it sounded like when I was reading about it in the 1900s. Okay, because that's been my thought process this whole time of what the Salvation Army is. You have a better grasp on it than me, I think. I don't know where I've, I've, I know, I, I don't know why the fuck I've thought that, but Grace and Chester began dating secretly due to her being a factory girl and having a poor ranking in society. Yeah. Also dating workers in the factory was forbidden by his uncle. That 
Reasonable. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So Grace had no idea that Chester had his eye on a socialite named Harriet Benedict. So she was very well thought of in high society. So, you know, not a little factory girl. Mm -hmm. Um, Grace's friends tried to warn her that Chester was not who he seemed. But Grace was in love for the first time in her life and believed that they had a future together. Mm -hmm. Now, in May of 1906, Grace revealed to Chester that she was pregnant and she begged Chester to marry her, but he refused. Grace would return to her family farm. Being an unwed mother made you an outcast of society and she would write to him, Please write often, dear, and tell me that you will come for me before Papa makes me tell the whole affair, or they find out for themselves. So at this point, she's still keeping it a secret from her family because she wants him to marry her so that she doesn't have to tell them, basically. It is said by some that Grace started to threaten Chester that if he didn't marry her, then she would tell his uncle the whole affair. So them dating, her being pregnant, all the things. But it's also believed that at this point, Chester had started to get closer to this Harriet and was trying to figure out how to break up with Grace, basically. Now, Chester would finally write her and said that he was going to take her on a romantic getaway in July. Chester may have done this to bide himself a little bit of time, but Grace was convinced that he was going to propose to her on this trip. It was also suggested that he had plans to take her to a maternity home in upstate New York where she could live until she had the baby. Either way, she packed her entire wardrobe into a trunk, excited that he would be coming for her finally. So she packs everything. She's not planning on going back home after this trip. Now, she would meet him in DeRider, where they would catch the train together to Utica, New York. So he doesn't come to pick her up. He has her basically come and meet him so then they can head out together. Now, day one of their trip, which is July 9, they spend the first night in Utica, New York, at the Tabor Hotel where Chester used an alias. So he signs in at this hotel under a false name. Kind of a red flag. But also, they're in a relationship that they're not supposed to be in. So not sure how suspicious that is. No. It is also said that in the morning, they ditched the hotel bill. So they did not pay their bill. Now, July 10, so day two, they rode the train to Tupper Lake in Franklin County, where they would spend the night. July 11, day three, rain ruined their plans for an outing on a nearby lake, so they took the train back to Utica, where they stopped at Big Moose Lake along the way in Herkimer County, New York. Here, they plan to stay at the Glenmore Hotel under the pseudonyms Carl Graham of Albany and Grace Brown. So we're still fake naming it up a little bit. Okay. Now, Grace's suitcase had the monogram C-E-G on it. 
So this may have led Chester to choosing the name Carl Graham to match the initials on her trunk. Now, the couple rented a rowboat from a man named Robert Morrison, and they are seen rowing out on Big Moose Lake, and they are also seen on shore for a picnic in the early afternoon. Okay, so Chester actually brought his things into the canoe, including a tennis racket that was attached to his bag. But Grace did not have her belongings. Mm-hmm. Why do you need a tennis racket on a lake? To beat your wife? Or to beat your pregnant mistress? Maybe. So just after 6 p.m., a scream was heard that appeared to come from the east shore of the lake. The couple that had heard the scream thought it might be some kids horsing around and did not investigate it any further. Yep. So when Chester and Grace did not return the boat that evening, Robert assumed that they had misjudged the size of the lake. But the next morning, he formed a search party and they found the rowboat overturned in an isolated cove called Punky Bay. Not far from the boat, they found the body of Grace. She had clotted blood around her nose and a gash on her lips, and her stockings had fallen down over her shoe. Yeah, and they would notify authorities, and when authorities arrived, they discovered that the woman was actually a guest at the Glenmore named Grace Brown, and that her male companion, Carl Graham, was missing. They would dredge the lake in an effort to find him, but they would find nothing. They did! Although, find witnesses who said they saw a strange man in the woods around the lake. And they reported that he was wearing a suit and asked them how to get to Eagle Bay, which was near Fourth Lake. Yeah, it's like a different resort nearby. Okay. When authorities contacted Grace's family, they had no idea who Carl Graham was. But they suspected that Grace was really with Chester Gillette. Authorities would go through the woods where they found Chester at the Arrowhead Hotel nearby using an alias. He had spent his time there socializing, and one witness said he even talked about a drowning at Big Moose Lake. They also found Chester's broken tennis racket buried near the shore. And some strands of long brown hair were found in one of the oar locks of the boat. Chester would be arrested. It is believed that while out on the lake, Chester hit Grace over the head with the tennis racket and then pushed her into the lake to drown. Grace had shared in a letter with Chester that she was unable to swim. Okay, so I also want to draw the visual image of these lakes and where he's trying to go. So the lakes are pretty, they're all skinny lakes. So Big Moose Lake is kind of like skinny, kinda but really long. It's long. Yeah, but it's it's a big lake, don't get me wrong. Like it's mm-hmm. a it's a decent sized lake. And the Eagle Bay that he's trying to get to to on Fourth Lake is south of it. Like not uh-huh. too far, but like kind of along the main it road. It looks like a it's not along the main road actually. No, that this is along the main oh, road. Oh yeah. The fourth lake goes right across the highway. Right. So He could be getting there, but I don't know if that highway was even there at the time. There. I don't even. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Who knows what this place looked like back then? But also, look how cute this is. This is Little Moose Lake. Oh, there's Little Moose Lake, too. Yeah. That's cute. All right. So the coroner's report comes out, and 
It says, lips swollen and discolored. Tip of the nose presented a like appearance, somewhat flattened. So like it had been hit maybe? Like with a tennis racket? Yeah, or the oar of a boat. Left cheek or molar bone presented discoloration. Right central incisor or tooth was loose in its socket. So she has a tooth loose in her mouth. Abrasions of the mucous membrane of the lip. This injury to the lip and teeth and nose had been inflated before death. So she was alive when she received this injury. Okay. Black and blue spot on the cheek with a degree of swelling that had been inflicted before death. Point of discoloration on the scalp over the right side about three inches above the ear. On incision, the injury extended beneath the scalp. So it was a hard enough hit to her head that it bruised further in quite a bit. The blood vessels were ruptured and hemorrhage had occurred at the point of injury. This injury was so great as to lacerate the blood vessels. In the periosteum. Beneath the periosteum, the blood had clotted about the size of a dime and the injury had penetrated the skull into the brain matter beneath the skull. The injury had produced a small blood clot about the size of a nickel on the brain and the blood vessels in the brain were ruptured. This injury occurred before death and was necessarily such as to produce unconsciousness from shock. This is not sounding like a drowning to me. They can't see you shaking your head, Madison. <laughs> I can. I can hear my spine moving side to side. You should be able to hear it too. Um, what do you mean? That sounds exactly like a drowning. Because most people, when they drown, they receive huge blows to their head and face. Yeah. That could possibly cause unconsciousness. Well, maybe then she drowned. So, obviously, Chester would maintain that he was innocent. As one does when they murder a pregnant woman. A woman they impregnated. Or abandon their pregnant girlfriend after she falls into the lake and drowns. Either way. Either way. However you want to spin this. Right. However he's going to spin this, I should say. Just wait. He would eventually admit that he was on the lake with Grace, but he had claimed that she had gotten up and jumped into the water, fully clothed. Yep. He said that she was despondent. Give definition. So, like, so distraught and upset over her pregnancy. Okay. Over the pregnancy that she had committed suicide. Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying, yep. Obviously, I didn't report this to the police or do anything because... What am I supposed to do? She jumped into the water and killed herself. Well, and he's also there under a fake name and isn't supposed to be dating this girl. Sure as hell wasn't supposed to get this girl pregnant and has another girlfriend. I am innocent, your honor. Now, after police questioned him about the beating that she had taken to her head and face, he changed his story a little bit. Oh. 
He claimed that when he stood up to grab his hat, that the boat had capsized, throwing them both into the lake. But he claimed that he didn't help Grace because he was scared that she was going to drag him under in her panic. He said that he yelled at her to grab onto the boat, and when she did, it capsized again, pushing her back under, and she never resurfaced. So this is how he's trying to explain the blow to her head, that when the boat capsized again, it hit her. Right. And once again, I did not tell the police this because... Um, yeah. I walked through the woods and went to another resort to hang out there instead. Oh, also, with it's... With my bag. It's about, like, I would say, like, a six-kilometer walk or, like, four miles-ish around there, something like that. I don't know. Google Maps doesn't give me very good... That's okay. It's probably close enough. Definitions. It's a bit of a walk is what I'm trying it's to say. It's a bit of a it's walk. It's a bit of a walk. It's not... Why wouldn't he go back to... The resort that they're staying in on that lake if he had nothing to do with it. Police would confiscate Grace's love letters to Chester from the hotel room and question other patrons at the hotel. They soon found out that Chester had been heard talking harshly to Grace and he had been seen pacing the hallways before their boat ride. Also, all of his belongings were bone dry, even though he said that he had to retrieve them from the lake. So he retrieved his belongings, but he was not able to retrieve his girlfriend. Yeah. Fuck the girlfriend. Get your tennis racket. Don't forget your tennis racket. And then don't forget to bury it on the beach. Yeah. What the fuck was this guy thinking? I honestly don't know. God, he must have had a lot of lead in his system. Now, the trial would begin on November 12 of 1906, and it lasted until December 4. The trial was held in Herkimer, that cannot be right, New York, and was the most sensational ever held at the time. We're Up until get that time. Accosted by New Yorkers. I know. Up until that time. Yeah, New Yorkers, please don't come for please us. Please accost my mother. <laughs> I think it'd be funny. Justice Irving R. Devendorf would preside over the case. And hundreds would show up to witness the trial. Now, the prosecution would claim that Chester hit Grace over the head with the tennis racket and did nothing as she succumbed to the lake. Their case was entirely circumstantial, though. They presented that the couple had been arguing and about Grace pressuring Chester to marry her. They also talked about Chester using an alias and about Chester taking his tennis racket out on the boat with him which they believed was the murder weapon. District Attorney George Wad read Grace's letters aloud in court where she pleaded for him to take responsibility for her pregnancy. In one letter, she wrote, I'm so blue, oh dear, if you were only here and would kiss me and tell me not to worry anymore. I will try so hard to please you, darling. If you will only write and tell me that you will surely come Saturday and not to worry I am crying so I can't see the lines. You will never know, dear, how badly I feel or how much I want you this minute. So in her final letter written on July 5th, she talked about looking forward to her trip to the Adirondack with Chester. She said farewell to her childhood home. 
wishing she could confess her pregnancy to her mother. In quotes, I know I shall never see any of them again. And Mama, great heavens, how do I love Mama? I don't know what I shall do without her. Sometimes I think I could tell Mama, but I can't. She's had trouble enough as it is, and I couldn't break her heart like that. If I come back dead, perhaps if she did not know, she won't be angry with me. Yeah, and her family, of course, cried during the reading of these letters. And even poor Chester was said to have shed a tear. Copies of her love letters were actually published in a booklet and sold outside the courtroom during the trial. I've never heard of that happening. No. Now, Chester's account of the incident from the trial transcript. Gillette. Then she said, well, I will end it here. And she, well, jumped into the lake, stepped up onto the boat, and kind of threw herself in. Thomas, what did you do? Gillette, I tried to reach her. I leaned back in the seat in the other end, the bow seat, I guess. I tried to reach her, and, well, I was not quick enough. I went into the lake, too. The boat tipped over as I started to get up. The boat went right over then. Of course, I went into the lake. Thomas, go on and describe what you did. Gillette, then I came up. I hollows, grabbed hold of the boat. Then as soon as I could get the water out of my eyes and see, I got a hold of the boat and got to the boat. Thomas, did you see her? Gillette, no, I stayed there at the boat, but a minute or two. It seemed like a long time. Anyway, I didn't see her. Then I swam to shore. It doesn't even sound like a good story. Mm -mm. The defense would say that Grace jumped into the lake in order to commit suicide. They presented letters that she had written where she mentioned that she wanted to die. I think being suicidal, though, and saying you want to die in a letter when you're trying to express how scared and distraught you are are two totally different things. They claimed that when Chester stood up to save her, that the boat capsized. The trial would last for three weeks. And on December 5 of 1906, the jury deliberated for five hours, and they found Chester Gillette guilty of murder in the first degree. When Chester was asked if he had anything to say, he said, I have. I desire to state that I am innocent of this crime and therefore ought not to be punished. I think that is it. The judge, of course, disagreed, and Chester was sentenced to death by electric chair. It was reported that he was smiling when the verdict was handed down, but I don't know if this is true or not. He telegraphed his father three words, I am convicted. He would be transferred to the Auburn prison, and his appeals would all be denied. So as his execution approached, he allegedly confessed to his spiritual advisor at the prison, He never released any exact details of this or anything, but... Yeah, and of course, this is the spiritual advisor later on saying that he had confessed to him, but he had no details to offer from that confession. He was buried in an unmarked grave in Sal's cemetery. It has since been paved over and its exact location is unknown. I find that very disturbing that cemeteries are just like paved over. Yeah. 
I don't, I don't like Once that. you're dead, nobody's visiting you. Everyone that visited you is dead. Yeah. They pave over the cemetery. It's like a lease. It's not, you don't own that land. No, we're walking. <laughs> Actually, there are cemeteries that like dig people up and shit. Yeah. After like it's been a certain amount of time, you lose your plot. I've heard of them like turning cemeteries into like parks and stuff before. I find that disturbing too, but. I find burying your dead disturbing. Now, there was actually a 1925 folk song called The Ballad of Big Moose Lake that was based off of this case. And also a movie called A Place in the Sun, which I did watch, by the way. It was interesting. Okay. It was actually, they, they did a decent job depicting the facts of the story that I could find. Okay. And then filled in with their own mm-hmm. interpretation. There was also a novel called An American Tragedy, and there was a 1926 play and a 2005 opera with the same name. Not sure if they're related. It is said by some that Big Moose Lake and the nearby resorts are actually haunted by Grace's ghost. I believe it. And this is said by multiple people. I'd be haunting the shit out of that bitch if I was her. I would, yeah. I mean, you can't haunt him anymore, right? He's dead. It is said that every year on July 11, a blood-curling scream can be heard on Big Moose Lake. An article in the Herkimer Telegram read as follows. The stories have it that the grim tragedy is frequently reenacted in the vicinity of the courthouse that a boat with ghostly figures of a man and a woman are seen as though rowing on water. The features of the man being those of Gillette. That at times a struggle ensues between the man and woman before following a piercing, unearthly scream. The latter is hurled from the boat and disappears. Those brave-hearted, it is said, have rushed upon the spectral figures in an effort to solve the mystery only as they reach the figures to have the scene vanish and they are grasping but thin air there are lots of reports though it's actually it was actually on an episode of unsolved mysteries as well where a staff member named Rhonda explained an incident saying i walked into the staff lounge straight up the stairs with my hand out reaching for the string which is how to turn the light on. As I approached the top of the stairs and just before I was ready to turn on the light, a feeling came over me that somebody was right there. More or less, I stopped in my tracks and really just didn't move. I didn't have an overwhelming feeling of fright, but something definitely or someone was there and it just kind of took my breath away. Meanwhile, outside, three of her friends told heard the same story of seeing a vision around the same time. They said it lingered for just a few seconds and then it moved away. And all three of them had seen what they described as a ghost. Rhonda said that while she didn't see anything, she feels a presence. Another woman named Lydia said, I was walking down toward the lake with my flashlight and the light was getting dimmer and dimmer. By the time I got to the edge of the lake and the rocks, my flashlight wasn't working, so I had to turn around and go back. She got a friend to go down to the lake with her, 
and while sitting near the lake, they saw what they described as fog ribboning up off the lake, and it formed into what they swear was the image of Grace Brown. I was awestruck, she said, and not only was I certain that I was looking at a ghost, but I had a very strong feeling of sadness. She was very sad. It's also said that the cell that Chester was kept in is also haunted. Which Chester was executed on March 30 of 1908. His last words were, Tell my mother I'm prepared to meet my God. It's funny, like, if he had taken responsibility for Grace and for this baby, his reputation would have been ruined. He probably would have been exiled from the family. But was it worth dying for? I mean, obviously he thought he would get away with this murder, if that's what it is. Yeah. What do you think? Is there any way, any chance it's not a murder? No. Any chance she actually jumped into no. the boat? No. No. <laughs> no. Absolutely. Absolutely not. Well, and I think that at least the the impression I got from some of my research was that he had kind of started to not see Grace as much and had started to see this other woman more often. And I think that if Grace hadn't gotten pregnant, he would have been breaking it off with her soon. So... I think he just felt like maybe it was his only way out to stay in his uncle's good graces, to be with this rich socialite. I don't know. Pretty crazy, though. Yeah. It's crazy for such an old story to still have so much, to still have, like, articles being written about it, to have you know, movies that were made about it. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, they also just found a time capsule that has to do with the the factory, the skirt factory. They did? In 2022, they found a time capsule that has to do Really? With, what yeah. was in it? Time capsule was located inside of this brick. They pulled it open. Oh, photos. A city of Courtland book codes. Pencil that has the factory's name on it. Huh. Photos of the company's founders. Items in did, in, did endure water damage over the 100 plus years that they were hidden. How did they end up finding it? Were they like remodeling the building or something? Really? Crazy. I wonder if that's why there was like a couple more recent articles about this case because of that time capsule that they found. It's going to become apartments. Oh. Alrighty then. All right. So, yeah. What are your theories about what happened at Big Moose Lake? Curious to know. Curious to know if anyone has any other theory because I think it's pretty fucking obvious of what happened here. <laughs> but we're going to talk about that more in Bunker Talk and we will talk to you guys soon. All right. Bye. One, two, three.